Hello and welcome to episode number four of Entertaining the Idea, the podcast where we discuss and debate the creative process of film, TV, and other artistic mediums from the perspectives of generating and consuming content. We are your hosts, John McStravick, and my partner. Hey, I'm Anthony Hudax. Anthony, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. How, how was that intro did you feel this week? I had to uh, constantly That iterating. was... I, I actually had to put... I. I thought that was a great intro. Well done, kid. Like that's a that's a nice one. Yeah, yeah. That's why I just this whole uh, idea of podcasting has been uh, we're kind of feet to, feet to the fire. This is my full, first full time podcast. I've dabbled a little bit here and there, either as a guest or tried to start them up before. But this is feeling a little bit more momentum behind it. But everything that we're doing with it, we keep trying to iterate on it. And h- how do you think it's going so far? How are you feeling about I, it? So far, uh, I'm liking it. I. I mean, I listen back every week to when you send me the link about what we did. And you know I've sent you so many emails of, yeah. like, man, I have to stop saying like. I have to think of an idea and then present it and not just ramble on. And once I make a point, let that point be made and not keep saying it again. And it's just one of those things where you just, like, the more we do it, the more I'm going to keep learning. And yeah. I think that's, you know, working on it and getting better. Yeah, I have those same problems. There's little texts that I'm listening back to. And I, since I'm editing it, I'm hearing everything, I think, even more with more minutia than just listening back after I've posted the episodes. But even then, you can, you know, hear the different uh, types of little things that we've, we were working to get better on. But I think each week we, we are uh, moving forward and improving on what we're doing. And even my process of just uh, recording and editing and figuring out topics, I think we're iterating and improving slowly but surely. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm feeling good about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So far, so far, so good. I mean, we haven't gotten any hate mail yet. And I think that's going to be my standard. Once we start getting hate mail, then we can really consider ourselves a full podcast. I, I agree. So we're working towards the hate mail is the goal so that we can then consider ourselves a legit true podcast. But we are on our way. Uh, okay, so then let's get into get into this week. So uh, first, our normal uh, lead off uh, topics are what have you been watching this week? Anything new? Anything fun? Yeah, um, obviously continuing to work my way through the Justified series. Very good. I am way behind on that one. So everybody who's hearing this is probably like, yeah, 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 we know Justified is good. What season are you in right now? Uh, I am rounding out the end of the first season. So um, very good. Love Timothy Olyphant. Love Walton Goggins. Just it's great. Cool. Um, The other thing that we watched uh, recently was Atomic Blonde with Charlize Theron and James McAvoy. Oh, yes. Have I, you seen I, that I, one? That's on my list this week, too. I just watched it. What are your thoughts? Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, God, man. Ed, I'll tell you, I, f- I loved it. Jeez, how badass is Charlize I, Theron? Oh, my God. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. She is one of the most badass people ever. And anything she does is Freaking awesome. Yeah, I loved how they literally, because there's uh, this realness that is going towards Bond films and that they've been doing with the, what's his head, Crash guy, the guy who wrote Crash, who won the Academy Award. Paul Haggis, right. So from the Paul Haggis, like Casino Royale, like onward, there's been this like very reality based Bond. And she took it to like reality into a fantasy level, which was just amazing to me 
Oh, you were so hitting it right on the head, I think, because I was just thinking about it and I'm watching this, especially the late, the big chase and fight sequence that was all like one shot, it felt like. Uh, that The reality, the reality of like the actual fighting, this wasn't, um, this wasn't your typical action hero where they go in, they get in a fight, but they just trade blows back and forth, but it doesn't seem like anybody's actually getting hurt. Uh, this felt like she like both the guy her and the guy she's fighting were that look felt like a legit fight of what would happen if you were like very talented skilled fighter and going blow to blow but actually receiving blows and being knocked down and being hurt but your all your life is on the line so your adrenaline still allows you to go forward but then it was still stylized in a way that was super exciting and super cinematic oh my gosh it was so good she has this look that she does in a couple times during the film where sometimes she's fighting people and she feels cool and under control and she's just like i'm i'm cool and in an action and then all of a sudden it like She's able to kick into a different level where it feels almost like animal reptile brain. Like, this isn't cool. This is just fighting for my life. And she's able to make that switch so well. I really hope she does more action movies. I was so enamored with her as an action star. Oh, absolutely. I really, really liked it more than I should have liked the plot of that movie. Because I have huge problems with the plot. Huge problems with the plot. But I think the plot serviced the style of the film. It wasn't the other way around. The plot was not the main focus of the film. They did things to get you from A to B to C to do cool parts of the movie and really For sure. bring up the style. But I was okay with that because I saw the purpose of what they were trying to do. And I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And there's points where it gets convoluted and, and confusing. But I think that's a problem of all big spy thrillers is that they have to do a lot of intrigue and back, uh, you know, smoke and mirrors, which is fine. I just end up you end up just going along with the rider like, OK, I get the general gist of what they're doing. I don't know the specifics, but I don't care because they make this movie look so friggin cool stylistically the way the characters are. Everything about it is just so oozing with style, but like cinematic style too. And they they go full on into the '80s kitsch, but in a really yes, cool way. With, without though that the necessarily the the pomp and circumstance of nostalgia just for nostalgia's sake, like they, it's it's that, but in like the best way friggin' possible. Yeah, it, they really did it like a style choice. They're like, we're going to pull an 80s style into this. Instead of it being nostalgic, they're just going to be like, this is late 80s. This is early 90s. So we're going to like pull this sort of like music and graphics and stuff like that. The, the neon lighting, the, the framing of the shots, everything. But the the dress that they had, everything that every the way that people were dressed, the way the hairstyles were, felt very modern. So you're just like touching on this 80s thing and i thought it really worked with the film because it is a fantasy reality like they try and be very gritty and very real like i'm putting the air quotes on the real but they also play in this fantasy world where you know that this is outside of anything that really happened and i the real the the one thing that i just keep taking away is charlie's theron wow so tough just tough as just tough as so good loved her in it yeah 
Ah, uh, I, I, when I was watching that, that those are the some of the prototypical type movies that I just can't get enough of. Which is why I think I like the spy thriller genre, one of my favorite genres. And when they do it, just nailing it perfectly I, with the action sequences that you can do in those type of movies. I, I love action. I'm not big into gunplay in general, but when it's a little bit more motivated because this is a historical fiction, they aren't doing guns for gun sake, but then they get to hand-to-hand combat to me is some of the most exciting set pieces in movies today. The way that it has a great realistic spin to it, it it made it even that much better. And it was relentless. It was nonstop. And when you move from a hand-to-hand combat and then out into the wider world of the next part of that whole sequence with the car, I I was just like, I, I can't, this is everything everything that i love about movies is when you just go to a fantasy level but it still feels somewhat grounded is just perfection to me and i i I just smiled i was smiling and laughing to myself how much i was loving it in the moment it was in the moment i was just laughing at how much this was so much fun yeah I, i i would agree it was super fun movie and i loved like they really I, there was a, a theme that I don't know if it was intentional or if it was just a thing, but I'm going to guess that it was intentional, that they really treated her like a professional athlete in her spy game because there's a lot, and this isn't a spoiler because I feel this is a too early of a movie to throw spoilers out there, but she is constantly taking ice baths and you do really feel like like that's like an athlete cooling down like she is it just for some reason to me hooked into she is an elite athlete at what she's doing because she's doing all this physical stuff and then you're also seeing the repercussions of it and i thought that was great i thought that was that was the best part of the movie was just how they did that i i agree 100 percent. and they make they those small aspects of like the ice bath though they make it so a part of the story though it's not just like she gets out of the bath and moves on like they they stylized it they made it sexy I, and i appreciate her and uh, like embracing her her sexuality and just like running with it full force in that movie too like she's a strong badass person and I, everything about it was just I, I loved it and i have to say speaking of character if we can talk about that for just one second they there is this thing that sometimes happens when you have female leads that they're like badass, but they're they're badass in a different way than like you have male leads. Like it, it feels like female leads if they like kick a bunch, they punch a bunch, then they're like badass. But she was legit in that Bond like world of she's figuring out this mystery. She's doing she has depth to her. She's not she's you think she's going one way, but then she surprises you by going another way. Like, I just was, like, the character felt very rich to me. And I was very mad at the ending because I felt they bailed out on their her as a character. But for, I would say, 95, 90% of the movie, she was a really, really interesting character to watch. And I think that's one of the most important things because... If you can't link action together with good character, you lose like a huge part of your film. It just becomes like this bland background noise. And I just thought that was great. 
For sure. And I, I think uh, you nailed it too with that character depth is she just, she was also flawed to a degree while she was this super spy. And like you said, oh, I think top sure. of the game, she still did, wasn't in the know all the time, still did a few things wrong. Still, that was my, the, one of the most more exciting things was you saw like fear in her eyes at different points when she was getting boxed into a corner at different parts yeah. of the movie. I, 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 you could feel the fear from her that like, this wasn't just like, okay, now I'm going to whip out my guns and just start blasting them. Like she had to think and figure out things of how she was going to get out of here, what she was going to do, like not sure if this was going to work. And sometimes things didn't. She would do things that didn't work and would put her in a bigger hole and continue on. And I, I understand what you're meaning. I think totally the very, very ending was slightly off. I think they just wanted to give you a button on the whole thing, which I was fine. Again, it, the story itself – Again, I think service more of the the fun style and the characters rather than the other way around. So I, I was okay with it. So glad that you saw that because that was my number one thing that I wanted to talk about today about what we watched. Oh, it was good. It was really, really. It was it was good. But she was good. I'm gonna say she was good. She was really, really good. Love her. I hope she continues to do action I, movies. I, absolutely, absolutely. All right, cool. Anything else that you watched this week? Then um, I don't I don't know that there was too much else that I watched this week. Yeah. It's just finding Atomic Blonde. Cool. All right. Well, that's a great one. So that was my number one. I was going to bring up Atomic Blonde. It's so great that you saw it so we could actually, because I, I just wanted to, uh, that movie was so great. I, I love spy thrillers that nail it like that. It's a big reason why I'm a big uh, fan of the Bourne series. Um, so uh, the other, I saw two other movies this week. Uh, I saw The Lobster with Colin Farrell. Oh. Uh, okay. Very different. Very quirky. But I liked it in the end. It's 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 one of these movies that's so out there and really just wraps itself in its bizarreness and for the story it's trying to tell in a more deeper level. And it's one of those ones you kind of keep coming back to. You don't know really what you're watching as you're watching it, but it, it, you keep coming back to it. Later on throughout the week, you keep kind of thinking back onto it. So I always find those very interesting. Did that – the thing that made me wonder about The Lobster is like it felt like the – conceit of that movie was so weird that did the internal logic of the movie like did it like work all together for you like when you were done were you like oh yeah that made sense with what they were trying to say or was it like three days later you're like oh yeah okay it it does in the world of the film like it pretty much creates its own little world but it doesn't get too deep into the mythology or the background to that conceit of the film oh okay it's like one of those ones where you just kind of accept they set up the world for you and the way they move along you just kind of accept it because they kind of lay out the ground rules pretty clearly pretty pretty plainly so you get the concept of it so but they don't get into the whole backstory of it and you just move along into then what the actual story they're trying to tell and i always enjoy that when you're trying to write a story sometimes when you're really high concept I feel like some people get too bogged down in the details of it, where it's just, I like the stories that just, this is the world we're living in. Here's the ground rules. We're going to move forward. And you trust that they're then not going to pull any 180s on you later on that completely break the rules in the film. I think Inception's a good example of this as well, where they have this, this machine that takes you into a dream world. But you never really get a backstory of what this dream, these machines are, why they do it, who the, what this team is. How do you get into that? It's more oh, or less yeah. just about going into. This is what these guys do. They go into dreams and they har- harbor, you know, information from these people they go into the dreams with. I, I feel like 
that fits into that same mold. And I really appreciate that. And sometimes when I try to do high concept stories, I try to run with that concept of how you explain a world because details to me can bog you down and that's when stories slow down. Okay. So that's where it comes from for me. That's the way I interpret it. And I, and I, I appreciate that. And I enjoyed it. So, uh, the other thing I watched this week was guardians of the galaxy. Again, I rewatched that. I've, I've been getting a little bit into a, a Marvel trip just because a couple of them are available on different platforms that I can just kind of turn them on and watch. And I love guardians. I loved it. The first time I saw it, I watched it. I loved it again. Uh, rewatching it just this past week. And it's my favorite Marvel movie by far. It's the, best epitome of a great cinematic comic book movie from the marvel universe it still has some touch and goes uh aspects of the marvel universe that i don't thoroughly enjoy it still has a bit of the tv look and style to it that i feel a lot of the marvel movies have again for a wider discussion at a later point but but the layers of the characters and the way they balance them all out again and then also with the humor and not taking itself so seriously while also having still just a fun enjoyable comic booky popcorn type movie it it nails on all those check boxes for me and it's it's where i think there's a lot you could argue for me i would argue a lot of the other marvel movies are missing are those fun aspects and not balancing them all out correctly and I think Guardians nails it. Yeah, I, I mean, I would agree with you. I think I think Guardians is, um, I think Guardians is the punk rock of the Marvel universe. I think they did a lot of like irreverent humor. I think they did a lot of just playing with the idea of being a Marvel movie yes. more than any of the other Marvel movies could do, to the extent that I feel like. Guardians of the Galaxy feels separate from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it's going to be interesting during Infinity War how they're going to tie everything together. Because to me, they feel almost like a comment on the Marvel movies at a lot of places rather than being inside the universe. Yeah, I, I would agree with that uh, that perspective of it. Uh, and that's why I think why it feels so good because it was fresh when it came out. kind of hit me like like a ton of bricks when it came out because I you know, never heard of I'm not a huge background like comic book oh, yeah. person. I've never heard of it either. Right. And so I was just like, all right, whatever. It's a Marvel movie at that point. It was something different. I went and checked it out and I just remember it was one of those movies I just walked out of the movie theater smiling and just giddy with how exciting and how much fun it was. And then in the end that's what it was. It was just fun. All of it was everything they just worked really well. It made it super fun. Sure. Uh, so yeah, that's always one of my faves. All right, so that's pretty much any of the brand new stuff I was watching this week. Anything else was pretty standard, uh, so we can then move along. Uh, All right, then, let's jump into our current event topic of the week. So you brought this to my attention, and this is something I think that's been percolating for the past, like, year or two, actually, but it seems to be gaining more traction just in the press and with some decisions that have been made lately. So uh, what we're talking about is... Netflix and other streaming services being allowed to vie for awards or film festivals or other types of competition for theatrical. And what is happening is uh, Netflix, Amazon, they are funding a lot of smaller independent films or purchasing them from the distribu- as being the distribution arm for these independent films from festivals. So they'll go into Sundance, they'll see these films, and usually it'd be a more independent label like a Fox Searchlight or a Lionsgate or something similar, uh, focus features that might come in. They'll buy the rights to that film because it gets a lot of uh, publicity at a Sundance, a Toronto Film Festival, and they'll distribute it theatrically. And it's been a known 
trusted model that's been around for almost a couple decades now. Now you have the streaming services with their pretty much open open uh, bank accounts to come in and they're buying up these movies and they're now just putting them straight directly to their streaming platforms and not always giving them a theatrical release. So there's a lot of back and forth. And what is bringing this back to the fore now is that Cannes Film Festival has now disallowed any streaming service that purchases one of these films to present them at Cannes. Uh, and there's there's actual there's actual written rules of how they can decide whether this deserves to be shown at, like, say, Cannes, because it needs to be in the theaters for X amount of weeks, needs to be in a France theaters for X amount of weeks, and there's also other rules for other things like Oscars, uh, which is being debated now as well. So with that uh, short but long summary of what's happening, what are your thoughts? Where, where do you land on this? Should Netflix and streaming services be allowed to compete for competitive uh, awards and competitions at these film festivals? Or uh, is this the right way to try to block them out? I, you know, I'm a little torn on this because... I had sent you the article that I had seen about Steven Spielberg basically saying that Netflix movies or Hulu movies or Amazon movies should be considered for Emmys or because they're essentially television movies. They're not actual films. That there's something different about the film experience or creating something for the, you know, giant 50-foot projection that is different than creating it for the television. I'm not entirely sure because... The punk rock side of me, the indie film side of me says, look, at to me, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon are buying these films and actually giving young independent filmmakers a chance to have a good distribution model to get their work in front of the most amount of people possible. If you want to go all the way back and say, did the director or did the production company, when they were making the film, intended to be distributed for television or intended to be distributed for film? That, to me, gets into a weird level that I don't think most people like would care to really go down. Like, what was the intent of a film? I think most of these independent people are telling stories that are focused on character and... I think if they're willing to give independent people the money to distribute their film, then I think it should be allowed in competition. And to me, this is almost like the moment back in the 70s or the 90s when people are looking at independent films or non-studio-produced you know, studio produced films and saying, well, they don't really count. It does really count. And I think that's something that I'm really sad that you know, Steven Spielberg said because he was part of that 70s revolution. And I think you do have to understand that people make movies where the money is. I, I think they should be able to compete is my thing. By the way, Ken also said you can't take selfies anymore. They banned selfies from their film festival, yeah. which is just like, okay, you're being a little too precious. And you know me imposturing 
you're being too precious. You're just posturing on that one. Well, you sent me two articles. Well, you sent me one article. The other one, there was a video, and they were talking about that, and they, they started off talking about the banning of Netflix and streaming services and the theatrical thing. But then the second part of, like, the other, like, main, like, news point that they're, they're also hanging their hat on is this idea that you can't take selfies on the red carpet. And it, it was so strange because it seems they're going to the mat at equal vigor on both of these topics. Like one is a sort of feels like a um, creative crisis or like a, um, like actually it goes to the foundation of what is considered a movie or a TV film and things like that, which has big implications from going forward of how everybody looks at media and content and things like that. But then all of a sudden it's also getting really pissed off about taking selfies on the red carpet because it slows down the foot traffic at it, it was very bizarre. It was very bizarre, and it and it just like kind of undercuts the whole argument that they're trying to make that streaming services should be banned from places like film festivals. And I I think the biggest question is when does a streaming service pick it up? So let's take Mudbound, for instance. That was a Netflix film, but that did get theatrical release. But it also was available when theatrically released, also available immediately on Netflix. So I don't know what the complaint is. Is the complaint that Fox Searchlight would have made Mudbound and then it would have been okay? Like that to me is where I'm just like, you're just splitting hairs because you're precious about something that there isn't even a really reason to be precious about. Like you're just being precious to be precious. Yeah. And I I agree with you. I, uh, feel the same way in the sense that I am kind of torn on this issue as well. And everything that you're saying is making me kind of go back a little bit to our uh, one of our earlier topics about movie pass and the theater owners being very precious about their films and the whole experience. And you fell on it. You think it's a bunch of just posturing. I, I said I was a little bit more of the romantic of idea of the difference between going to a theater and watching a movie and watching a movie at your house and just either buying it, you know, whether it was back in the day a DVD, whether now it's just like a streaming service or if you buy it on iTunes, something like that. I do feel like there is a different uh, experience overall to it. And I feel like having theaters are very important and why I guess if I had to be push or shove, I shy a little bit on the side of the Spielbergs and the film festivals where I feel like, it should be for theatrically released films are should be the ones contending at these different, uh, you know, award shows, competitions, festivals, whatever you want to call all of them as a, as a whole. I don't I'm not 100 percent on that. I because I, I completely see the other side, though, of a movie is a movie is a movie to a degree. And you're just trying to tell a story. And what's the difference of the medium in which it gets shown to and distributed to people as long as they see it should be the most important part of that. But wouldn't you feel a difference between if something was a direct DVD versus something that was in the theater? Uh, Back, there was a, there is a distinct line between something that got a theatrical release and something that went direct to DVD. And you would never argue for something that's direct to DVD should be nominated for Oscar. Although you could also, on that point, I also understand, I could see that they would only put shitty films direct to DVD or films that did not end up working out would go to direct to DVD, which is why sometimes you would see in the bargain bin at Walmart movies with like big people in it. You're like, 
why have I never heard of this? Well, it's like, yeah, because that got financed with those people, those big uh, A-list stars, but something went off the rails, be it the story, be it the direction, something, it just, it just, it did not end up working in a fully formed concept that then it gets relegated to just pawning it off into a bargain bin at your local Costco. So I understand the differentiation of that as well. I, and I was actually going to make that point. And I think to me that might be where, and whether this was Steven Spielberg's intent or whether it's just my interpretation of his words, I think that's where I ended up was that what he's saying by calling them a TV movie is that they're lesser quality because as I was growing up, TV movies were always lesser quality. They were faster put out. They were not the same production level that you would for a studio film. But... To your point, the direct-to-DVD thing, like, that is a thing, but that's always a lesser quality. And I think today, especially when you have this streaming model, you're not talking about something that's being direct-to-streaming as being lesser quality than something that's being shown in the cinema. There's too much money. It's, It's very, very different. And the bigger point that I would make overall is that let's just walk this back. Let's say that Cannes Film Festival says that in order to be eligible for Cannes, your movie has to be shown in a theater for a certain amount of weeks before whatever. Then Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, they're just going to put the movies in the theater. Here's an interesting, just fun thing for when you hear these crazy stories in the newspaper. You know how you hear these stories every once in a while, like this Shia LaBeouf film made $4 or like this Jessica Simpson film made $27 in the theater. Here's how that works. When you sell a film into foreign distribution, there's sometimes in your contract that it has to be played in a theater in the U.S. So what they will do is they will pick a theater, they will show it on a weekday night, And they will try and essentially bury the film so that it fulfills the words of the contract so that it can then be released in a foreign distribution. That's all that's going to happen if you make rules at Cannes, if you make rules at Sundance, if you make rules for the Oscars. All these companies are big enough to be able to distribute a film in the theaters and still distribute them on streaming. And even if they want to wait like two weeks to distribute them on streaming... They're going to do it. This seems to me, and I keep coming back to this posturing, you're just posturing to to make a point that cinema is special and that you should bring people back to the cinema when you're not going where the quality goes. The quality right now is streaming. The quality right now is on television. Okay. All right. And, and I and I see that. So I'll play a little devil's advocate and I somewhat ascribe to this a little bit. Again, I am having this internal debate, so I'm not by any means on one side or the other, but I do follow this a little bit. Do you, I, I, I'll, it's a question and I'm also going to give you my answer right now. The question is, do you think there is a relevance and a purpose and a need for the theaters to even be around like the theatrical experience? Do you think that is a necessary part of the movie business overall? Like with the idea that if we continue down this path, what if theaters do go away? Because it becomes, if you can get this content right away without having to drive to a place to pay higher prices to see it just one time and you're not even owning it, and anything else that goes along with that, be it you know the food and all those kind of things and just the other stresses and hassles of that, is that 
okay to go away with? Is that okay for that to die off? That that is the that is a bit of my question. Is it okay for the whole theatrical experience to completely go away? Do you think that's a problem or no? Do you think that's an inevitable reality? I personally love theaters. I love the whole experience of going out. I love going into that darkened room and my sole focus is on that bright screen in front of me and what is unraveling on it. That to me is the best part about all of movies anyway. Like I, I enjoy experiencing movies in a theater better. Like we were talking about Atomic Blonde. Would I have rather now, I didn't see that in theaters. I just saw it on uh, television. Would I now wish I went out and saw that in theaters? Yes, because I think that overall experience, there's a there's a part of a the cinematic aspect of movies is better experienced on a bigger screen in a focused darkened room rather than on my couch where I have other distractions I think there's an importance to keeping the whole experience and theaters themselves actually around and not going the way of other mediums. I I don't think that theaters are ever going to go away. I think it's one of those things like everybody says that book publishing is eventually going to go away. I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's one of those things that people will always want to meet up to experience these things as a group. We are social animals. We want to do this. Um, Think of when you get a, like a series on television that that people really like. You end up with watching parties. You end up with like inviting people over to your house. You end up being a party where everybody kind of hangs out and watches it together. There is nothing better than going to the movie theater and watching a comedy because you get that real-time laugh track with everybody. There's nothing better than going to a movie theater and watching a horror movie because you get that real-time fear with everybody. And I, I don't think that experience is going away. I think they do need to change their model. I think they need to embrace things like movie pass. I think they need to make it easier for people to go to the movies because once you make it easier for people to go to the movies, they'll be there. I mean... The thing that we actually risk is that what will happen and what always happens is that movies are going to keep skewing towards younger people because when you're 16, when you're 18, when you're 21, 25, whatever, and you're still kind of living at home, kind of not living at home, out on your own, but don't really want to be at your like shitty apartment that you're only paying like $300 a month for, you know, because you have one room and 18 roommates. Like you're gonna go out and go to the theater. It's a place to take a date. It's a thing. It's it's an experience. I know. All right, but let me let me push back against this though. Then the Disney's coming out with its streaming service soon, and it's bundling almost all their big properties together, and it's to pretty much combat netflix and other streaming services and that's and that is an evolution of the entire disney business model and they're usually more progressive and more of a leader with willing to take chances on new technological progress and new ways and new dynamic distribution models so but what if they then now in less than 10 years though instead of the the next avengers movie it's not in theaters they just send it right to their direct to their streaming service. And I would say that isn't going to happen because Disney is still putting their stuff up on Broadway. So if you're going to go 10 times removed from where we are and talking about whether you should be streaming service versus doing something in a movie, you're literally talking about a company that is still putting up Broadway plays, like spectacles that cost $100, $150 a ticket 
to go see, they're still invested in that. So no, I do not think that they're going to turn around and take their big properties and put it into just a streaming service. It just doesn't make any sense. The only thing that they're doing that for, and I have a a seven-year-old, so I just watched uh, Zombie. And that is like the High School Musical 2 of now. That type of stuff, yeah, that's going to be on their television. That's going to be their big streaming thing. It won't be released. but Or you don't want that released in the movie theater. You you want it released on television. It wants to be an event that your kid can sit down. And we all watched it together. And it was fun. you know. But that's where that's niche marketed towards. Yeah. Well, I, I and listen, I, I'm... Like I said, I'm kind of torn on because I also do believe in progress and things change, things evolve. And if you don't want to get left behind, you have to evolve with it. So I also agree with you on those points that the movie theater experience has to evolve itself and change with the times. I think part of the problem is nobody knows exactly how that looks or what changes need to be made specifically. And I think you're in the throes of an established an established business being the theater chains in their last throes of how this current business model works and you're getting the last gasp of a pushback before things actually start changing and either you're going to have a new company come in and start doing these different things or you're going to have someone finally who's not as strong just take a chance on doing something different what that may be, I don't know. And I think then it'll prove to work and then you're going to see other ones start moving along as well. And maybe it's that evolving model that Spielberg and Lucas talked about previously a few years back about where it'll become more like a Broadway theater where the big movies like the Guardians of the Galaxy, the Avengers, those will cost like $50 a ticket. And then you might have smaller properties that still go to theater, but they'll cost $8 a ticket. And there might be that balance. And that might be like, that's an example of one possible way this goes. There might be other things where it's day and date together. And for some reason you get a, you get the benefit of seeing in the theater. Who knows? I, I, but I agree with you that things have to change. Things are changing regardless of what the old way was and how certain people grew up. I think you're right with Spielberg as well. Being in the old model, he was young in a new model in the seventies, but he's now kind of the old guard now and things are changing and, and it'll be for the next generation to figure out and they'll jump on that. But it seems to me that this is the most exciting time to be part of the movie going audience because you do have things like you do have like the luxury theaters that where you sit in your recliner and they bring you drinks and they serve you food and you get these like big things they're called the gold star theaters and that's a model when you look back in the past and the way that they used to do movies they've always had this problem of bringing people into the theaters and they used to have giveaways at theaters they used to do shorts before movies just so that people were getting more content for being in the theater this is always a problem for movie theaters and i think that this is an exciting time because we get to see how movie theaters are gonna adapt and i think things like movie pass are exactly what we need i love it i'm stamp 100 percent. please movie pass sponsor a podcast like you know like i'm with it i'm all for it but wrapping it up i i i generally agree with you which is why i know the it's just a romantic idea of what a theater is and what it has been and what a movie going being in the theater is versus that but i am also aware and i am generally is my life belief of 
things change and you have to change with them. And I, I, I think that's where we're both coming from. And I know we've said that repeatedly. So that's where we'll end that. And this is going to be an ongoing discussion. So it, I'm sure we'll we'll come back to it again. What I'm fascinated by listening to us just speak about this and certain other topics that we've talked about before is how a lot of these uh, topics are starting to interconnect, though, be it with the theater owners, be it with the streaming services. We've talked about the theater uh, aspect last week. Uh, we talk about the Oscars and what a movie is and these things keep coming around and actually leads a bit right into our main segment for today and that is movies are the new tv and some of the things you brought up uh kind of touched on some aspects of what we've kind of uh we're talking about a little bit before and what i've uh felt about this concept so what i'm talking about here is i wrote a blog article about this and the idea is that movies and TV kind of uh, crisscrossed in their cultural significance uh, throughout the 2000s where films were changing over and consolidating into tent poles and franchises, but franchises more in the trilogy sense. And this was also at the same time that TV started to go heavily into scripted serialized shows, uh, starting with The Sopranos and moving forward from there. And it came to a head where then at a certain point, Movies were running out of content, though, in these temple properties because they were based on the idea, which was trendy at the time, of trilogies. Everything had a trilogy, and it was a beginning, a middle, and an end. TVs, on the other hand, were going these long-form serialized shows that continued on for seasons, and they were becoming super popular and where a lot of the creative, uh, the top creative people wanted to go there because it was the best outlet for for original ideas, original characters, where the franchises were becoming a lot more paint by number. So what I feel is, and I just started noticing this, is that movies, though, are now copying that strategy of creating more serialized, never-ending content. And what really, I first noticed this was just a little while back. I was driving down the road and I saw a billboard for the movie Annabelle Creation. And on it, it had a logo that said, a part of the Conjuring universe. The Conjuring movie was the first movie by these producers. And that's when I started realizing, I was like, oh my God, everything is just a TV show now. Just because you're in a movie theater, or you're considered a movie, does not take you away that you're just bringing everything into the same world and then you're just continuing on the same story with just some maybe new characters or a different plot line. But it's all the same thing. And you can almost just look at these each new movie as a new season or a new episode within a season. And so I just wanted to take your general thoughts on that. Do you agree with my my theory on that, my perception on that? Uh, and if you do, do you think it's a good thing or not a good thing? What are your thoughts? My thought is basically that we're just going back to the way that movies always were. Um, when the movies came out, like I looked it up because I had always remembered movies as being serial things not that i was around in the 40s or around in the 50s but like i remember when my parents were talking about movies they would always talk to them about serials and i look back and there's not even close to the level that it was in like the 10s the 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s even the 70s where you're having like 18 25 32 installments of a certain storyline you know and i mean i think the dick tracy movie had like 18 installments in the 1940s and i think they're just going back to that model 
and maybe this is what Steven Spielberg was pushing against because he would have grown up in that time of serialized movies and then basically just pumping out everything because you didn't have as much television content or that much high quality television content that if you start doing this in television or in these streaming services what you're going to end up is lowering the quality of cinema to exactly what you're talking about to just serials and serials and serials and serials but I don't necessarily have a problem with it I actually had thought that a movie that deserved more serial was um, the Mummy series with Brendan Fraser. When I was watching that in the theater, I was always excited for the next Mummy. And it was never like these things were the best action movie of all time. But I loved Brendan Fraser, and I loved the basic story of the Mummy, and they always kept just pumping them out. And I, I wish there was more of them. So cereal away make it make it bowl after bowl man i'm eating my cereal so you're not you're not exhausted by all the different types of movie franchises now because as i said in the 2000s the hotness was trilogy so they would start but you knew there was going to be an ending and as they started to as the tv was exploding they started then to expand these franchise further than what they were originally intended for that was the first step of which they did so examples of this would be the pirates of the caribbean then there was also the uh, fast and furious franchise which some of them were even just uh, fast and furious was going to be just one movie and it was successful they made a sequel and then they went and made a completely different movie for the third one and then decided let's go back to the original one and now you're up to i think fast nine but there was never that intent when it first started. Uh, I think Fast 9 has been announced, but... I And don't talk bad about the Fast and Furious, because I see every single one of those movies in the theater, and I love them all. I love a good car chase. <laughs> and you have, a, you have a lot of people that are just like you, and I have friends that just love it. I haven't seen any of them yet, um, but everybody says they're great. And I have no problem with, like... Wait a minute. Can we, can we pause for a second? Did you just say that you have never seen a Fast and a Furious movie? I haven't seen them since the fourth one. Or since the second one. I haven't seen them since the second one. I saw one and two. Wow. We're getting together. We're having a Fast and a Furious party because that is (laughs) unacceptable. Once The Rock joins the series, he basically pushes Vin Diesel out. And then Vin Diesel turns around and reboots the Triple X series to be much cooler than it was. Well, and that, this is what I've heard. I, I've heard The Rock is the is the fra- uh, Fast and Furious franchise at this point. Uh, yeah, well, and I, I love The Rock. I love I love all his cheesy, over the top '90s action style movies. They are fantastic in my mind. I would lo- I want to go see Rampage. I think it looks great. But okay, back to the point. Listen, I got no problem with The Rock. He is not the franchise, though. I'm just, I'm just saying, he's, he's just a good part of it. All right, well, I'm going to have to watch it and uh, f- figure out what is the good things about Fast and Furious. Then. All right, so we'll do a binge day of the Fast and Furious franchise 4 through 8. Uh, but on the point of, like, let me, I'll just list now off now some of, just some of the big universes. Some of them are whole cloth created new. Other ones were extensions of old ones. So you have the MCU being the Marvel Cinematic University. You have the DC Extended University. You have the Fast and Furious franchise. You have the now reignited Star Wars franchise. You have the Dark Universe, which is the recreation of the Universal Monsters. 
you have the Harry Potter universe now with the Fantastic Beasts uh, continuing that on. You have Lord of the Rings, which they can't quit that one. You have the Monsterverse, which is different than the Dark Universe because that is the one of um, with the Godzilla and King Kong and the Pacific Rim movies are all part of that universe. Then you have the Cloverfield universe. Uh, And those are just a few of the ones that came to my mind. You have Pirates of the Caribbean is still going on. I don't know know, how long. You have Transformers, which is now changing into its own universe when they used to be kind of one-off movies. One of my big problems, though, after looking at this and realizing this, what I don't like about it is they, they serve a greater purpose of the whole universe to the detriment of the actual movie that you're watching overall. So... They everything that happens in that movies now is pretty much trying to lay the groundwork for the next movie that's coming along. And on top of that, the bigger problem, I think, really with all of it is that by not having any finality in the series, you water down each subsequent movie and it's and the stakes are lowered and the what's happening in it does not mean as much because, you know, there's going to be another one right after it. So whatever happens, you know that they'll be okay and then they'll just live to fight another day. And that is not exciting to me because when I watch The Matrix, you know there's three movies and once that last movie happens, that's it. And you can then sit on it. And it's the same thing with the Star Wars series. The original three movies were so great and it ended and then you didn't actually know if there's going to be more and it then gets into the question of do the, the more that there is, does it dilute the overall franchise and the best movies of the franchise that started it out i think only in i mean yes people can fall to the lowest common denominator and you can end up with just schlock that gets thrown up on screen and that will happen from time to time um i mean as far as what you're talking about franchises number one i think that the universal like the dark world i think that's dead i think after the mummy failed they weren't really going to pursue that as much as the universe and they've been trying for a long time to make that into a viable universe and i just don't think they've hit the right tones with it yet and i'm think they're a little bit wary about going full hog into a universe until they can really get it down um I mean, it's interesting that you bring up The Matrix because The Matrix also, like, you didn't know it was only going to be three movies until after the third movie because they never said it was going to be three movies. They just kept making sequels to it, and they did get worse and worse as they went on. But they announced the two sequels back-to-back, and they shot them together like you knew that was it. Those were the two movies. No, you didn't know that that was it. You just knew that they were shooting them together. That's like... but No, no, no. You, you did know this, but in the set, this is what I'm saying. Like, that was the hotness back in the early 2000s and throughout the 2000s were trilogies. You, you Everything ended up being a trilogy. You had Lord of the Rings. You had The Matrix. Yes. Yeah, like the the tr- the trilogy did seem to be the the model back then, but there was no reason they couldn't have made more. It was just the assumption, and I mean, and thank God, thank God they stopped at the third Matrix because without them stopping, we would not have gotten the Channing Tatum Mila Kunis masterpiece that is Jupiter Ascending or stellar stellar movie which is Speed Racer. 
okay, you're 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 diving into individual directors and their their spotty record of good and bad movies because I will also, as a tangent, say Cloud Atlas is actually a fantastic movie. I will disagree with you. Okay, topic forever. for a, a discussion for it's another terrible. day. Okay, but what what I'm trying to say is I I the, Pirates of Caribbean. It was it was at the moment going to be a trilogy. It wasn't until like four years ago that that they decided to add on to it because again they're looking for existing properties. And this is this is the greater point though, which is what I wrote in the article was what is happening is they are looking for short bets and they're looking for properties that they know are guaranteed or very viable money makers, and they just want to continue to reprint those properties and those characters and those stories because that's what they feel is the best bet when they're spending these big big money the big money on these projects which is more and more what they need to do in order to turn a profit is they have to spend a whole lot more on a bigger project so that's what pulls the people in and it it just continues to dilute though the the overall story and the creative process here because and back to my point of not having finality in any of these series yet it lowers the stakes because I feel like there's no hard decisions or consequences of anything that happens in any given movie. And you're only serving up then for the next story that's coming along. And I think that's one of the greatest problems with the Marvel universe is that's what they do. And half the movie is just laying the groundwork for the next one that's coming along. And I, a movie like Guardians, though, what I loved about it was it was a movie in and of itself. Like it didn't give a shit about anything else that was happening in the Marvel universe in general. And that's what made it fun, and that's what I'm hearing about a lot of Black Panther too. Is that it focused on the movie itself, not necessarily all the grander aspects of this wider world. Which I also do. I'm also on the side that I think it's very, very impressive what Marvel has done with this. I do not take away anything of their ability and Kevin Feige's ability to pull all this together. That is a Herculean feat that they are doing better than anybody else as far as making this a whole coherent universe. But I also think. It, it takes away from the individual movies. I I mean, I'll only half agree with what you're saying because I think you're overstating how much of the movie is dedicated to setting up the next movie. I think that what you're saying is roughly the same thing that anybody could make an argument about any television show that's on right now is that you know the main character is pretty much going to be okay. Like, with the exception of the rare show, you know they're going to make it all all right because that's the person they're banking on for the next thing. Like, I mean, I feel like it's okay to do a spoiler on Game of Thrones. Like, the fact that Ned Stark died in, you know, season one of Game of Thrones was a huge shock to a lot of people, and that really burst a paradigm that was already broken in fantasy you know novels to begin with but had not been broken on tv where it was like you can just wipe out a character that is very very popular and game of thrones has become notorious for doing that and staying very true to their fantasy roots and wiping people out there will be a movie franchise that decides that they're going to do that and they're going to start wiping out big characters. But, I mean, for the most part, I mean, what are you going to do? Kill Iron Man? Kill Captain America? Kill Superman? I mean, 
every what like six or seven years dc kills superman and then they do all the press releases and then oh superman's dead i don't know and then you know obviously he's not and he comes back in another iteration like you're not really gonna kill anybody and that's sort of the suspension of disbelief it's the same thing when you watch a movie like you assume that it's all gonna resolve itself it's not real life it's not gonna have this amb ambiguous ending where it's just kind of like peters off and you sort of forget about it okay but I, and I, I like your points of the television killing off people and but you can make the same argument for they've been doing that in TV they're like sopranos yeah Tony soprano most likely was gonna be around he's gonna be around the whole time but every supporting cast member in it what typically would never be touched, was getting knocked off at some point in the series. Like you, you really never knew who or sure. would not make it through any episode or any given series, uh, any given season for the Sopranos. It's the same thing with game of Thrones, which makes it very, very exciting. That is one I think of the main principles of game of Thrones, which makes people tune in every single week and be on the edge of their seats is because they actually don't know what's going to happen. But with these franchises, you do know in a general sense of what's going to happen. And somebody's going to play with that. With the comic books, you brought up the Superman aspect, and I, I, I understand that the killing Superman is now just, like, uh, cliche if in the DC universe. But the thing with comics and the way they got to look at it with through movies is that you then start over usually a lot of times completely. Like, they started off with over recently with the new 52, which completely wiped away pretty much any prior existing storylines or backstories, and they just said, we're going to start clean slate and who you know if somebody was dead they're now alive again if they had certain stories so i feel like you could do that with franchises and i mean spider-man not that this is a great example has done that where they've rebooted now on their third time that is just poor management but it doesn't mean that you can't do that where they went through an iteration batman batman chris Fuller, nolan's batman they went through an iteration they did three movies with batman and then they changed they moved on and now they're just showing you a different vision of batman whether it's good or not that that's you know subjective to the audience now but the point is though sure. is it proves that you can then very quick soon after that too restart over the franchise uh, or that character and give a different take on it because there's a different storyteller there's different writers there's different directors and it can have an entire different tone and that's up to them and that's what makes it fun almost is when you you can do that but i think the staying in the same exact series like the marvel one is at this point I nothing's on the line like what's going to happen in Avengers because they already tell you there's a whole nother phase now that's coming up after this Avengers so it's like but the finality of a of a franchise to me is exciting because then you you have that closure this story is done these characters are done I feel like that's part of the problem with the Star Wars saga now is that you're you're bringing back these characters and you're trying to then balance out the new characters with the old characters and I see it with other franchises too that it's bringing these people back in the same exact mold. It doesn't allow for any real new creativity because you're you're attached to the old perspective and the old story way that those characters were presented. So we could almost start wipe new and start a whole new Luke Skywalker saga, I feel like, in a completely different vacuum and just take it in a completely different direction. That's fine. And I, I and I just think though, you have to end storylines. It's it's the same thing and and but a series will end a storyline too. And even with a remake, like if you remake a movie now, the best thing to do is just completely start new. You don't 
rebooting it is is not as strong as completely remaking it in a new vision. That's what makes it fun. I don't. I see. Here's my problem, and this could be a thing of reboot versus you know continuing a saga. I don't like rebooting a series versus continuing the saga. I and we talked about it a little bit in a couple episodes ago, maybe our last episode about um, Ghostbusters. What people wanted was a third Ghostbusters movie. You wanted something to continue that world. There was nothing wrong with that world. You can introduce new characters. You can do whatever you want. But connected to the old world, what people didn't want was a reboot. They didn't want to start that series over. If you started Star Wars over, people would be up in arms because nobody wants to start the series over. Nobody cares about watching Luke's story over again. We've seen it. It's done. It is now ingrained into our consciousness. What people want is they want to continue the saga. They want to see what happens next. Now, I think that people will start being a little bolder about who you can kill in a franchise. I think television is really leading movies right now. And until movies do something spectacular, I think that they're going to kind of lag behind television. And I think the next thing that's going to happen in movies is you're going to have somebody big time die in a series where it's going to be you think that they're the main character. Ned Stark was the main character for game, for season one of Game of Thrones. You were following Ned Stark's story. And everybody else was tangential to what he was doing. And then you killed him. And the balls that it takes to do that. I mean, not to do a deep 90s action movie cut, but... The only movie I can actually remember that did that was Executive Decision with Steven Seagal and Kurt Russell. Yes. I was stunned at that. I was watching that movie when I was younger. I was like, did they just kill off Steven Seagal? Like, what is happening? It blew my mind. And it blew my mind. <laughs> it was amazing. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen a movie that's almost 20 years old at this point, Steven Seagal is literally in the first 15 minutes of the movie and then dies. And then Kurt Russell is left to kind of pick up the slack and lead the team. And that was a great moment in that movie. I I, I remember that. I remember that scene so vividly where they're like the connected planes and they're moving into it. And then it's Kurt yeah. Russell's the second to last. And then it's just Steven Seagal left. Something happens where like plane's going to like dis eject from himself and it's going to like suck everybody out. And Kurt Russell goes, we're not going to make it. And Steven Seagal goes, no, you are. And then he like turns the knob and closes the thing. And then the, his plane flies off and you just see his little body fly off in the space. I don't know what just happened. I'm like, is he really dead? Is this possible? I was, I didn't know what to do. I was like, has this ever been done before? And that was amazing. And I know that there is an executive sitting in their office right now being like, we can kill Iron Man. This is how we do it. We can kill him off, and it's going to blow everybody's mind. It's going to be amazing. And I think they will do that, and I think movies will eventually catch up with television. Because here's the other thing, is talking the nuts and bolts, going all the way from story and just going back to contracts, there's a certain point where, like, Robert Downey Jr. is not going to want to continue playing Iron Man, or, or not saying that he is, or Chris Evans is not going to want to be Captain America anymore, or, you know, Chris Hemsworth is not going to be one 
want to be Thor anymore, or Scarlett Johansson is not going to be Black Widow, or you know Jeremy Renner is not going to want to be what you know Hawkeye or whatever. It's just people are going to be dumb playing those characters and be like, I really want to just end their story. I want to, and those actors have enough clout that be like, I want to do justice to what this character was but I don't want them to be in the story anymore because I do not want to have my whole life revolving around a Marvel film which is fine and that and that will happen and when that happens they will do that and they will kill and once they kill there will be more killing there will be more killing all right a few things all right I I I, I said a few things that like spark all these these uh thoughts so first off you already said it that TV will movies will follow TV. TV is already leading on like this aspect, say, of killing off characters. And this goes back to my greater point where TV is the cultural generator of of life right now. They are they are the movers in our culture right now. Movies are not. TV is leading the way. Movies are following along when it used to be in the inverse. And my problem with this is that it fills in actually what we were talking about with the streaming services, where it's the same story and it's just another check along in the story. And now if you watch them all in a streaming service after they've been in the theaters, now you just have an episodic series. You have the Marvel series. And I, I they're just not as strong, though, because you're following older tactics of the television uh, world that they did eight, ten years ago movies are just getting around to and doing now. So it's, it's not, it's not exciting. It's not cutting edge to me. I would say one, one of the series that does a good, that what does pretty well though, in my opinion is the X-Men franchise where they have iterated each new movie, each new story excited. Like it, it's fresh each time and they're willing to kill off people. And they're also willing to get creative of how to bring in younger people or retell certain stories of established characters and also meld them all together at the same time, which is, that was exciting. It's starting to get slow down a little bit. The latest one apocalypse was not as strong as the earlier ones in the franchise. And again, that could lead what I'm talking about though, into fatigue though, of using the same characters in the same storylines where you, it's, it's harder to continue to be engage creatively without just starting to check off checkboxes. I, I, I just, they're, the stories are start are very boring to me and a lot of these franchises and the longer they go, the more boring it gets. I, the reason why I think X-Men was above ahead of the curve was they killed off certain people in the third movie that was just shocking and everybody got all pissed off about it. I loved it. They killed off, spoiler alert, <laughs> Cyclops, and I thought that was great. I was like, yes. I was like, I didn't see that coming. And I was like, good job. I like that stuff. Like, I want the unexpected, and I just feel... That's what I'm trying to get to is I want the unexpected, and in all these franchises, they're just becoming a bunch of sameness. And look, I we can get into the debate of DC versus Marvel, but it's the same thing with DCs. Like, it, it's a lot of the sameness. I think they do a better intention of trying to subvert your expectations, but they end up going to the paint-by-number bits as well. And I, I just don't find them engaging. And it, it's a shame because I t, movies used to lead 
in the creative aspect of where we go and how we tell our stories. And now TV has doing it. And you know what? That's fine. Again, we talk about progress and, and, you know, cultural evolutions, and that might just be what it is. Television subverting that whole idea and making amazing looking television and catching up to movies faster than movies are catching up to television. And I would agree with that. I think that the quality of what is on television right now is is pretty stellar from just a cinematic standpoint as well as a, a movie standpoint. But it's interesting that you bring up Cyclops being killed off in the X-Men series because, to my point earlier, I believe the reason that James Marsden was killed off as Cyclops was because he had already accepted the role in the Superman movie to be the rival and he was not going to be able to film any the next installment of the series, so they killed him off. And I think that's what's going to happen with the Marvel Universe. There's going to be people who just don't want to do it anymore, so that forces people to be creative and to kill people off. But on that point, though, is one of the problems with all this is that you already know that Robert Downey Jr. wants out. Like We know sort of his general contract situation where it's now kind of film to film and He's ready to hang up his his suit. And I have no problem. Like, I, There's nothing wrong with that. My point is, though, is that creatively, when the story is being told, you kind of have that idea that that might happen because you already know the real-world ramifications of what's happening with the actual actor playing that rather than in television. You watch Game of Thrones. I don't know who's going to do what. They, they're very good at keeping people under, under wraps. They're very good at having certain contracts all lined out so that you can't – that's not factored in then to the creative process where you're – Factoring in other aspects to how you're going to write your characters based on the whims of what an actor wants to do, which again is is fine. Like it's, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that inherently, except that it, we know about it as as the audience. We already know that he's not going to be around forever. We know Chris Hemsworth's getting tired of this. We know that um, Scarlett Johansson's not going to be there forever. We know all that. And then, so if any of these die, you know that that's all part of the already the bigger apparatus of, of making these giant universes. And that, that just doesn't give me the same impact of when that something like that will happen in a character because I already somewhat expected. Yeah, I think actually they're doing a really smart thing about um, with starting to sign people on just on a movie for movie contract. And I think the actors are, are you know, reaping the benefits of that as well as the audiences because having not known whether an actor is going to be in the next film or in the film past that um, makes it a little more like, you know, somebody's going to get killed off. One other aspect I just want to touch on then with this is the other idea of a problem with these franchises and these movie universes becoming like television. And that's what they're sticking with. And they continue to pump them out is, is that taking away from them creating smaller one-off type of movies and sucking out all of the either resources for those type of movies or even the creative process for those type of movies, be it like a Red Sparrow or an Atomic Blonde. And you f- it feels like you're seeing less and less of these type of movies. And it's, you know, like back in the day of the 90s when there's like the whole spec script explosion when there's all these just new and different and higher concept movies that allowed for different types of storytelling rather than fitting into the machine be it of the marvel universe the dc universe star wars like these things are becoming sort of machines and working within their own constructs and you have to fit into that construct 
which again, not necessarily a problem, but it's also taking away from more inventive, more different types of creative stories. I I don't think so. I don't think that's really going to be a thing. I mean, you can't... I think the low-budget movie market now, I think the, the, the top of that is now at like $30 million. So, like... To make a $20 million movie and consider it low budget is kind of crazy to me. Um, I I think that studios are always going to be willing to take a, a risk on something that they think is going to make money depending on how it comes in. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that we had that uh, the Paranormal series that they, you know, that, that movie was shot for very little money. And then they were able to repackage it, and Universal made a ton, a ton of money on that. And and then they were able to turn that into a whole franchise. Uh, but if something is good, they are willing to take a risk on it. I mean, even if you go back to, like, Die Hard 3, which the script for that was not a Die Hard movie. That was another spec script that was brought in. They're always going to be willing to take movies that are good and distribute them the thing is and this is the thing that that bothers me is because what happens is a movie goes out to a festival or a movie starts you know in a very local way of not you know like being produced and everything and and it gets buzzed around and people are seeing the product before it even premieres and what happens is you end up with bidding wars between studios and smaller studios and whatever to distribute it to make the money off of it and to say that like Netflix or Hulu or Amazon are not allowed to be in that process because the big studios should be the ones that are really doing that. It's just like, give me a break. Back to your point of um, paranormal activity, I, I think fits in what I'm talking about, though. Is So that comes in. We got this movie. It's called Paranormal Activity, and it's really cheap. And so Paramount goes, sure, I, like let's do it. Turns out to be a big hit. Then all of a sudden, it they turn it into a franchise. It's like, why does everything have to turn into a franchise? And I, I like I, I kind of stated it earlier. It's because they want to go with proven properties. But it goes back to my feeling that it's a value of diminishing returns, though. After a certain point, like, okay, yeah, was the second one interesting? Yeah, it was. It was a good and scary, and they do some new things. Sure, and the third one, okay, it feels like you're starting to cap it off. But then they continue on with four and five, and now it's like just goes direct to, to streaming or whatever. And it then they're not as good, and it's. I, it's just taking away then from any new property coming in. So like, yes, they took a bet on a small new property, but I want I want more new fresh things that don't have to turn into franchises because that like let that guy who wrote that and let him write something else and then let him write a totally different movie. Like like Aaron no- uh, Christopher Nolan is one of the rare people who's afforded that. Uh, him and Paul Thomas Anderson and um uh. uh Oh, the guy who does Silver Linings. David O. Russell. There it is. David like, those Russell. Guys, they're, every new but, movie is okay. it's a new movie. It's a new story. It's new characters. And they're all fantastic. And they're, mo- they're more engaging than another Thor movie, another uh, another Star Wars movie. I disagree. Transformers movie. I disagree. You're, here's the thing. What happens is you end up whitewashing away what are terrible movies that people make. In the like sort of general, like being creative people, we're always going to be like, well, you have your chance, and like if something works, something doesn't work, whatever. And you watch 
whitewash away all the bad stuff that they've done to just be like, well, look at this new thing and look at this new thing and look at this new thing when it's like, yeah, but like a lot of them fail. And sometimes there are characters that people like and there are characters that you can do more with. And there are really good versions of doing the serialized movie. There are also really bad ones, but you can do a good version of it. And to, people do get lazy over time, and it doesn't end up being as good as it as what it was. And those used to be the direct-to-DVD movies, but I don't think the quality of sequel or the quality of trilogy now is the same as it was when it was, you know, back in the day and it was direct-to-DVD. It seems like a lot of what's happening is if you come with this good movie concept, what I hear a lot talking to other writers is that then they're always told, well, can you turn this into a television series? Because it's going to go to streaming. Where if it was just a movie in and of itself, that to me is what its original intent was. And that that is to me more engaging. Like I, I, I'm missing the, the fun of movies and the finality of movies. Because even in a movie in and of itself, there's a finality to it. It ends. It allows you then to go back and think about it, enjoy the fun aspects of it or whatever it got, got you going with it. You can go back and think on that. But when you continuously have new things coming out in the same storyline, the same franchise, and the same characters, the same universe, you don't get to look back and, and remember the best parts about the series when it's, once it's over. Like Think about like Back to the Future. Like Would that be fun if they continued on that story again? Like the three movies, that was great. It ended. Matrix, same thing. It ended. It was over with. They did it with, they originally did it with the pirates. Like it's over with. Okay, that was a fun series. You know, that was a fun adventure. Um, All of these movies to me, that's when it was fun. And, and like the original Star Wars, like where is the myth about? The myth was original franchise and the original three, tr- three movies. And the nostalgia you get from that, thinking back on that, having fun with that, like talking about everything that happened in those movies to me is what's fun, but it's because it's over. Now that it's continuing on, it's you don't get to appreciate things. And plus now there's so much of it that it, they're, they're starting to scratch the barrel of enjoyable, new, fresh storylines and, and, and takes and, and levels with the character. And I, I feel like it's my, what I'm coming down to is that it's a detriment to the overall storytelling process when it's, when it's not finite. That is the biggest problem I have with this is that they're continuing these on because they're popular and they're making money for sure. But I feel like that happens partially. It's a chicken and an egg where it's only making money because it's the best game in town, but there's no other game because it's the only game they continue to put resources into. All I'm going to say to that is that people said the exact same thing that you're saying when people were doing the trilogies in the 90s. That why can't we just have a single movie that wraps everything up and let it go? Why can't we just have one RoboCop? Why do we have to have three RoboCops? Why can't we just have one Back to the Future movie? Why do we have to have three Back to the Future movies? When Back to the Future was first in the theaters, there was no to be continued at the end of it. It was just a movie, and people were happy about it. And then they expanded it into three. So it's not, like, this is, this to me is all just, yeah, okay, if you want to complain about it, but it's the way that the world works. Sometimes people like seeing their character be in different situations. And I know that the Marvel Cinematic Universe feels tired to a lot of people because 
it's been going on for so long. And I think Infinity War is supposed to wrap it up. There's a whole other phase after Infinity War. And they're going to be moving on from their characters that they have yeah, now. Yeah, but I don't think it's going to be the same people. Well, they're, they're going to be changing the characters. They're, they're changing, I think, the actors and certain characters so that they're doing that. And it's going to be part of the storyline, which is fine. I, I, yeah. But I... I it, and I, that's going to be... Like, that's going to be a thing. That's the way comic books work. I'll hold trans- I'll hold judgment on that transition because that gets more into the idea of what I was talking about of showing a fresh take on it. So maybe that'll be that fresh take. But I still – I just like new and exciting and untried and untested ways of trying to tell a story, new stories. Because, But you're saying yes, but that is part of the problem. Everybody just gets so comfortable in these stories that that's why they go to it. Everybody's comfortable eating McDonald's, but that doesn't mean it's good for you. Yeah, okay. But the problem is that some it's not like everybody is just phoning it in. Like there is a whole new group group of challenges that come out when you want to do a sequel to a movie or a trilogy or you want to do a continuing series. Like there there's a whole new group of challenges because you have to make everything unique and you have to take what character you've established and try and squeeze them and twist them in different ways yes the longer you're with a character the more cracks you're going to see in the story but i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing i think that's just a thing i think that's just the way that sometimes everything works and i have to tell you to say that it has to be new and original all the time is like yeah because Everybody wants, like, Cutthroat Island again. And, yeah, everybody wants another Howard the Duck movie. Like, sometimes it just doesn't work, and you can't just have rosy glasses and say, new always works, because it doesn't. Oh, I didn't say, but I'm not saying new always works. Not at all. And you are going to have your significant amount of failures and things that just don't work. That comes just then down to the pedigree, the talent of people you're working with. But... It's also cutting off, but I just think it's cutting off a lot of avenues for people who have interesting stories to tell. And it doesn't have to be shiny and new. I'm just saying there's a lot of stories I think that go untold because it gets sucked up into the vacuum of now these long, ongoing, never-ending franchises. And again, I'm not saying I enjoy the certain ones to a degree because there are you just sometimes want fun easy viewing like i I, i'm just kind of in that mode right now sometimes watching some movies that's why i'm going back and watching some marvel movies because i just want something fun and easy that i don't have to pay attention to too much that i get just to have some fun with and that's what i've been doing but they are i'm watching them all they're all the same thing it's these guys get together there's then this big bad guy uh he has a big random army that just seems endless and then there's a giant blue portal or a stream of light, a uh, giant beam that's coming out or into the earth. And they have a big battle at the end. And then they stop the big beam of light and uh, they all go home. And then it starts over the next movie. It's almost every Marvel, every, not just Marvel, not just Marvel. Every superhero movie is Love it. that. I, it sounds like your dog even disagreed with you on that point. <laughs> sounds like she shook her head pretty hard. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's a dog. She sleeps like 75% of the day. What does she know? Yeah, so do most Marvel fans. 
All right, well, let's end it on that then. Uh, I think that was a really good, lively discussion. Okay. Uh, we both came from, uh, I think, pretty vastly different viewpoints for a lot of that. Yeah, so if you want to check out, I, I wrote a blog article on it. Uh, it's at medium.com backslash creative dash differences. I'm sorry, that's a complicated one. Medium does not allow for top level domain names, which is frustrating. But anyway, if you want to go check it out, read my article. Uh, this is kind of where we jumped off from with this discussion. And I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. For sure, so everybody wants to see that. Yeah, we'll we'll get it in the show notes. Uh, let's start wrapping this up. Uh, did you have anything that you want to spotlight this week? Yeah, um, there's actually two things. Um, one of them I think you'll really like. It is oh man, crap! I forget if it's on Amazon. It's on Amazon, Amazon Prime. It is a series called Comrade Detective. It is produced by uh, Channing Tatum and John Ronson. John Ronson is one of my favorite authors of all time. He does all these wonderful researching uh, and weird, fun books. Um, he did The Men Who Stare at Goats. He did um, The Psychopath Test. Um, just very, very interesting dude. Um, so he and Char- uh, Channing Tatum produced this series, Comrade Detective. I don't want to tell too much about it because they do a great introduction. I think they should do that. The other thing is to talk about fantasy and series and universes. Um, there, DMG bought about a year and a half ago the Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson, and it is going to be made into a series of movies. And I have to say, the Mist- another franchise, yeah, another franchise, and that's what made me think of it. The Mistborn series is by far my favorite series of books I have ever read in my entire life. Brandon Sanderson, Mistborn, I do not even like fantasy very much. I rarely read it. It was turned on to me by a friend of mine, a guy by the name of Pat Kenny, and he told me I had to read it. I read it, and it was amazing. I could not put it down. The Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson. I know we don't normally talk about books. Read it because... In a couple of years, there's going to be movies, and then everybody will think you're the coolest for already knowing it. All right. I will uh, check that out. My spotlight of the week is I came across this blog article, and uh, it was more of actually a work of art, and it's called The Manila Fishing Saga. It's on Tumblr. <laughs> that, I don't know. That, have, have, you ever, have you ever heard, have you ever heard about this, I'm glad that you Tony? found that. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, that was... That is a legitimate. Okay, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you give us the backstory, let me just give a, a briefer to the audience of, of what the Manila Fishing Saga is. It is this whole blog post. Uh, basically, it's an email adventure that starts with this guy. We'll call him Tony, who was contacted by someone posing as a friend and looking to scam him via email phishing scheme. He decided to mess with this quote-unquote Rob, and what follows is a week-long correspondence where he tries to help Rob out. But Rob is in, continually becomes more and more frustrated with our friend Tony. And our Tony in this story is none other than Anthony Hudax of this very podcast. So if you could please just give a little bit of background yeah. into this, because I will put this in the show notes because it was hilarious. I stumbled across it on his uh, website, and I, I went through the whole thing. I, I couldn't stop reading it once I, got, I, I uh, clicked onto it. 
Oh, thanks, man. I, I really enjoyed that. That was that was legitimately a week-long saga. I got a, a email from a guy by the name of Rob who was just phishing an email address of a producer who does comedy shows, and there was no reason for this guy to reach out to me and asking what he was asking. And... I knew it was a phishing scam right away, but I love messing with people who fish with me. So I was just 100% in, and I was giddy that entire week. Oh, you can tell from your email responses that you were just, you were a pig in writing these emails back, that you were just loving it. Oh, I loved it. And I would run back and forth to um, my boss, Pam, when I I was working at the time and I would run into her office and I'm like, Pam, this is what, this is what Rob just said to me. And here's what I responded. And then it would just be like laughing and it was great. And I'll tell you, I had, you know, spoiler alert. I had Manila time on my phone as well as I spent a great amount of time on Google earth going through the streets of Manila so that everything that I said was 100% verifiable. So uh, thank you. Thank you for reading that. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, it's so good. Listeners, you really, if you're just looking for a quick, probably 10 minute break at work, I, I highly, highly recommend going to check this out. It's very funny, very entertaining. It'll keep you wanting, you'll keep clicking and scrolling through because it, it continues to go on. And I get ner- I got nervous a few times that it, you would get back to him and send an extra email or two. Cause then it's like, Oh no, is he just going to like cut you off? But no, he'll end up coming back. He always came back and you were able to actually, and, and it, and it has an it ending did. and it goes all the way through. Uh, that's, as, that's the most spoilery thing I will tell you about it is that it, it will end in a, <laughs> a pretty satisfying conclusion. It, it won't just drop off. So you won't get blue balls from, from reading this whole endeavor, but uh, very well done. I thought it had a very satisfying ending. I was really happy when I came up with the end because people, there were a few people who knew about it when it was going on and they suggested endings to me and I just didn't want to use any of them. And then I came up with the ending and I was like, this is what's happening. And I thought it was great. But it ties in, it ties in with the rest of the story as it's, as it's uh, progressing. And it was, it's a good break or two from work uh, just to kind of zone out and have a good laugh. Yeah, I hope I hope Rob's okay. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. Well, then uh, that'll do it for us this week. I think we went a little long, uh, longer than I expected. That 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 uh, yeah. our main topic kind of we we really got into it there and lost track of time. But I, what what are you gonna do? I, I thought it was a good discussion. So, uh, where can everybody reach you at? Uh, yeah, you can reach me at Anthony Hudex Twitter, Anthony Hudex at Instagram. Or anthonyhudex.com, where it has my jokes and also has a link straight to the Manila fishing story. Yes, and that is where I, that's where I stumbled across it, and it was a great find. Uh, see, the internet has wonderful ways of surprising you sometimes, and this was one of them. Uh, you can reach me, John McStravick. I'm at jstravs on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, on Tumblr. And my blog, like I said earlier, is medium.com backslash creative dash differences. So that'll do it for us this week. We hope you enjoyed everything, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Later.